4: Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is
5: Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
6: Hey, welcome back, everybody, to uh, Armchair Politics Part 2 on the Tom Sumner Program, our weekly uh, roundtable. Our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, on the... On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter, and last but not least, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton joining the roundtable this week. Welcome back, everybody.
5: Good to be here. Hi.
6: Well, let's see. Where did I leave off? Oh, I know. Uh, President Donald Trump on Thursday forcefully denied a report in the Atlantic magazine that he had disparaged U.S. service members killed in battle and chose to skip a ceremony honoring veterans. Speaking to reporters after returning from a rally in Pennsylvania, the president said the report was a disgraceful situation. To think that I would make statements negative to our military when nobody has done what I've done with the budgets and the military budget we're getting pay raises for the military. It is a disgraceful situation by a magazine that is a terrible magazine. I don't read it, he said. Um, but are media reports making this bigger than it is, or are these the kind of remarks that the president routinely makes?
5: Well, it could be both. The John McCain comment way back <laughs> when yeah. he was first running sort of fits the pattern. I mean he's of course he said well, the right things when he's reading off the, the teleprompter, <laughs> but the, 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 there have been comments like this that sort of fit the pattern.
1: But uh, nobody yeah. thinks that the president would disdain the military. That's gonna be stupid to do that. You can't you know he's the president of the United <laughs> yeah. States. He would never I'm sorry. do that. He might I'm do sorry. a lot I'm of sorry. other things wrong, but I don't I'm think he sorry. would do that.
2: I'm sorry Henry, you had me laughing. Um I subscribe <laughs> I subscribe <laughs> to the Atlantic Magazine and I really like it and I trust it and I think they do good reporting. I don't think they're inclined to do something that is just rumor. I think they probably checked their sources and I think that when you go back to what he said with General Kelly when they went uh, to Arlington and they were there at General Kelly's son's grave site, um, that was very thoughtless. That was just sort of a it was sort of an example of how he feels about uh, military service, and certainly. But that's what inferred. Stuff. That's
1: not fact. That's inferred.
2: Uh huh. Mm. Well, you can infer from what people say when they're not clear on what they say, but I think he probably said what he's been accused of saying because it's typical of his way of talking about people that he does not hold in high regard. The, the you know, you know when, when, the...
5: when, he was first, when he was first running, I created a thing called Trump Bingo, and I took the bingo card, and I put a different group in every square and asked people to listen to a speech and see how long it took you to fill out the whole card. When he insults every single group around. So Bobby's right. It's has been a pattern, whether it's the military, whether it's the handicap, whether it's Mexicans, <laughs> whether it's women, and you go on and on and on. It's a long list of, of groups he's insulted. This is what it's I, I would hope that the done.
1: president would not do. I I just I cringe when he begins to defame people. <laughs> I I support the president yeah, best, of that, best of my ability, and I'm going to continue to, to see this through. But there there are
2: things that
1: I wished he wouldn't do.
2: True, true, Henry. Yeah, man. I'm sure you're not alone. I uh, <clears throat> I was making phone calls a few weeks ago, uh, calling people to remind them to get their absentee ballots and and to vote and. Um, there was this man that I talked to who was quite charming. I didn't mind talking to him. He said he was a Republican. He was a Trump supporter. And uh, by the time we finished our conversation, I said to him, Well, I can tell you why I am a Democrat. It's number one, I believe very strongly to support the Constitution. And number two, I believe that the Democrats show respect for the dignity of every human being. And I think that what Donald Trump has done is he has taken the Republican Party and taken that respect for the dignity of every human being and turned it on its head.
6: I think so, too. But one of the problems I have with this particular story and, and so many others like it is the fact that the reporters use unnamed sources. Yeah. And The Atlantic says in its own defense that uh, it verified the... Um, you know, it cross-checked with multiple unnamed sources, I think three, and then someone from another media outlet, I want to say it was CNN, but maybe it wasn't, um, was allowed to find out who the three unnamed sources were and verify their stories, and ultimately the Atlantic Magazine's story. But the problem that I have is that most of the news we get now relies on unnamed sources. And in my opinion, if you can't get somebody to go on the record, you don't have the story yet.
1: Yeah, you don't have the reliable
6: because I think what? people have to be able to look at you know, a number of people have come out in defense of the President and said, "You know, I was there. I never heard him say anything like that. you know we've we've heard some of those rebuttals um, mm-hmm. the The problem is you can't take the people who make the accusation and the people who put forth the defense and then compare them and decide which one is more compelling <laughs> when you're reading news that nobody will stand up and admit to.
2: Well, from where I sit, I will take everything I have heard him say and use that as my guide, and whether what is currently in the magazines or the media is true or not doesn't sway my opinion about how he treats other people. No, I and social that social and that was not
6: and and that was not my point because we certainly <laughs> saw and heard the comments he made about John McCain, because it was well documented and and you know we've got Trump in you his own words <laughs> saying these kinds of things, and so it's easy to believe a story like this because he makes those kinds of comments. My problem is is. is goes beyond Donald Trump and into what passes for news these days. And that's my problem with this, is is the, the kind of reporting that it represents um, as being the norm now. And, and I think it's unfortunate. I, I think a lot more editors should say, um, you know, when is somebody gonna go on the record on this story? And, uh, to, and hold the, the, the story until somebody does. To but, Jan's point, uh, Jan, many Republicans would agree
1: with what you said. You use your own judgment after reading something, uh, despite of what you read elsewhere. You use that as the basis of discerning the truth. I think that most Republicans would accept that as a, a very good uh, philosophical argument.
5: Let me throw out one more question here. Do you think that Do you think this will change any minds? I mean, this has been a pattern for three years or more, and it, it's kind of one. It's assuming it's true, even if it is true. But it's really the same behavior we've had, for so many other groups in, in, beyond the military. Is it going to change anything for the in terms of voting patterns or elections or uh, individual minds?
2: It's true. Of course, Tom's point was, how do you? How do you give credibility to an
5: unnamed story? Yeah, yeah. And, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. That's an accurate. Point.
2: And it is a good point, and I think that um, when I think back to the last how many 30, 40, 50 years I've been paying attention to politics, um, it's always been on background or uh, off the record or something like that, not as much as now. But we have a president who has a vengeful nature, and I think for that reason, there are a lot of people who don't want to be named on the record because of the fear of the guys with the guns, um, because that's a very real, real scare for some people, especially if they're in the public eye. Look what Putin has done to people that oppose him.
6: Yeah, and I'm anxious to film. see if this, this most recent uh, the guy might pull through. I'm curious to see uh, what he has to say when he... Uh, Gets uh, mended and, and uh, back up and talking. Yeah, yeah, yep.
5: Yeah.
2: It's a real fear. I think a lot of people that do have that kind of fear.
1: Well, Dan, I hope after this election we will be back to somewhere near civil.
6: Well, I, I, I hope I, I try not to to weigh in on on too many things, but on this uh, Atlantic Magazine story, and I'm using it as a jumping off point, they're no more or less guilty of it than anyone else. Um, But I I think we need to demand more of our news sources. You know, they they don't have the story until they get somebody to, to go on the record or until they can, you know, at least produce some evidence that's irrefutable, paperwork, video, audio tapes, you know, something.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, Tom, can we do that? Because we're so divided. Uh, we're equally divided. It's tat for tat. It's this for that?
6: Well, I think we'd be um, a lot less divided if we had to face each other.
5: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah, I think you're right. I think the social media makes it easier to be more divisive. As you see the comments on Facebook, those are things people would rarely say in person.
6: And if so you if can say them. things to a major news outlet without being yeah. named or or held responsible for your your comments, um, of course you can say anything you want.
2: Yeah. Well, I've been I've been known to talk to reporters about things that I have discovered. Um, but what I do is give them the evidence for them to go and find the uh, smoking gun. I don't um I don't give them I just give them what I can to let them go to the source and find out what and, they need to
6: know. And that's and that's completely appropriate Bobby. That's and and that's what I'm talking about. The the reporters have have got to hold off. They don't have the story till they find the smoking gun. If they find a number of people that will point them in directions and they get the stuff uncovered and they, they have, you know, irrefutable evidence or or someone is willing to go on the record and say right i witnessed this Um,
2: well well reporters have an entree that the average person doesn't have and um, there have been a couple of cases back in maryland where one time i was actually on vacation and i got a call from a, a washington post reporter you know bobby what do you know about this and where can i find that and You know, I said, well, if you want to know who owns that business, I would just go to the Department of Commerce, you know, because if they're a foreign business, they have to register if they're going to do business here. So voila, I pick up the paper, and he's got the story. Um, They often do go for information to lead them to more information. So I'm surprised that these reporters don't do that.
1: Well, I am, too, because I I read an article last week, and you probably read the same thing, by Zuckerberg, Mm -hmm. Who is now looking at things that people say, and if they are without uh, basis for being said in a political statement, he censors them. This is something that the press should be doing. Because you got to you got just one person taking the running for the press. That's the job of the press.
2: It is, and they have the ability to do it. They have the ability to do it. I think what's happened is investigative reporting has become um, so uncommon because it costs more money, and, and the newspapers and the media want to put bang for the buck. So yeah.
5: they're going for a
2: sensational
5: story. They're going for the attention getter. And media is under this financial pressure today because of the shift to social media that the traditional papers have lost the funds they used to have to work with.
2: Yeah, yeah, they have. They have. I I follow uh, like ProPublica, and a few of the others that do in-depth investigative reporting because they really dig, and they come up with information.
6: Well, and I I but I think somehow we have to encourage John Q. Public to expect more out of the media. Um, it it can't just be, you know, headlines and bumper stickers and tweets. It's 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 got a, People have to come on on the record, and say, this is what I saw. (laughs) This is what I know. Yeah, this is the information I have to share on this subject. And And I
5: think we need to learn to use the fact checkers, the Snopes of the world and other similar fact checkers, to double check those crazy rumors you hear on Facebook and all of that. Some of them are true, many of them are not. It's worth checking those things out.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're going to take yeah. a short break. We'll be back with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming, we have some messages as well.
7: Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810 339 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go.
4: Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for
3: Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit CDC.gov.
4: How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later.
8: The Tom
1: Sumner Program. Hello,
3: this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Hey, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by political operative uh, Bobby Clayton Walton, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden said he had spoken by phone Thursday with Jacob Blake, the 29-year-old black man who was shot in the back by police, while meeting with Blake's family in Wisconsin. He talked about how nothing was going to defeat him, how whether he walked again or not, he was not going to give up, Biden said. His comments came at a meeting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the site of Blake's shooting, with local political, law enforcement, religious and nonprofit leaders. Earlier Thursday, Biden had met privately in Milwaukee with members of Blake's family, who he said put him on the phone with Blake, who is out of the intensive care unit. He said he uh, had spoken about faith with Blake. Was this a shoulda coulda moment for President Trump?
2: mean uh, he he should have gone and he made, a phone call. He made
6: a phone call. Or or I visited the did. family or
5: Yeah. Uh, I think so he made a phone I call, he made he some did. kind of contact. When when he was there, like I say he did the law and order a bit, but he did, as far as I know, made no attempt to contact Blake. So I uh, yeah, I think even an attempt, a phone call, some kind of contact would have been wise from his point of view.
6: Could he have pulled it off?
5: Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Ask
6: Henry. Henry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know,
1: I, I, I'm not sure about that. Um <clears throat> for uh, it was uh it it may have been a misstep but I don't think it was intentional. I think that he didn't have time to think that through. Um, and he didn't know how to react probably. You have to think about some things. You just can't go out and Blunder on him and this is sensitive. You're dealing with two different cultures here. And so uh, it was, I say that it was a mistake and that uh, he needs to uh, do whatever he can to repair that.
2: I'd say he got bad advice from somebody on his staff. Yeah. That could have been. Yeah. yeah. Well, and
5: again, it, admittedly, Trump's strong suit is not that warm human interaction, anyhow. He's much better at
6: the... <laughs> he doesn't do warm fuzzy, speech. does he? Yeah,
5: he doesn't You're, do warm fuzzy very well. <laughs> <laughs> According to what um,
2: Michael Cohen said, he doesn't even have a sense of humor. And he's never seen <laughs> him laugh or chuckle.
5: <laughs> <Yeah>.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Although, I think, I, I think he uh, delivered one of the great jokes um, at the Al Smith, uh, I think it was the Al Smith dinner, um, when he uh, talked about um, everybody uh, praising Michelle Obama for a speech she yeah. had given and Melania <laughs> gave the exact same speech and didn't get any uh, accolades at all.
5: Yeah, I recall that.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, whoever gave great. That, that great job really good <laughs> yeah, yeah, it
6: was it was a great joke and oh that was a great one and and uh, <laughs> and he actually he actually put it across pretty well and that was surprising because I I don't think of him as as having a real good sense of humor um, no. the Trump administration and House Democrats have agreed in principle to fund the government past the end of the month but don't appear any closer to striking a deal on additional coronavirus stimulus. Speaking Sunday, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said he and President Donald Trump continue to press for a narrower package than House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is demanding. Should funding the government and stimulus be part of the same negotiation?
2: No. No. no, uh,
1: yeah,
5: it's, no funding is,
1: the government, we do that every November or October. We, what we do, we raise the debt limit. And yeah. is this part of the debt limit, or what? What? How? Are, how is COVID involved in the debt limit projection?
5: It's a matter of leverage. That the, the only logic, if there's any logic to it at all, it's a matter of leverage. People use that as a leverage to to get some. I mean, some other thing. I mean, the COVID one's a hot button now, but in the past they've used that as a lever to get your favorite pet project into. So it's it's not an uncommon tactic.
2: It's a negotiating tool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but
1: and this is for one trillion dollars, right? It I'm is not about sure. I, I'm That's not sure. I think you're for. right. Yeah. Well, and then they're going to come back and ask for ungodly amounts of funds in November or October when they the, the Congress comes to raise the debt when the president petitions Congress to raise the debt limit. So, yeah, uh, um, we got to be careful at that.
2: Well, one of the things about the package to provide coronavirus relief, it, it's an economic stimulant, for one thing, which really helps the whole country. But I was talking to a friend of mine this week about evictions that are um, bound to be coming up. And this is a person who has, you know, good knowledge about the evictions process here in um, in the state because he's a judge that handles evictions. And um, he assured me that there is money still in the CARES program that will make landlords whole, but they have to complete all of the right paperwork. And that new CDC order that just came out, uh, banning evictions, although there are three conditions that the beneficiaries have to meet before they qualify for help under the CDC program, um, that is a bureaucratic um, a bureaucratic nightmare, I think, or a maze. But the Supreme Court Chief Justice in Michigan is supposed to be studying the CDC to decide whether she's going to extend her order on evictions. And so it's all in play right now, at least that part of people's uh, well being.
1: You know, what, what bothers me about the coronavirus uh, request for more money is, as you know, other countries have started up and gotten their gear going to produce products and services that they sell to the rest of the world. W- according to what I've read, we will not be back to normal until 2024. That's how far we are, we going to continuously lose ground. We haven't,
2: we haven't controlled the virus. We haven't yeah, taken... Yeah, we've,
5: we've act- had the worst. I know, you know
1: I know, but we could fall into dire straits here in 2024 when we've lost our place in the world, economic place in the world, where so people we're can it build a product. Anyway. Pardon?
2: I think we're losing it in other ways besides oh, economically. I,
1: you got to be positive. This is the <laughs> well, United States of sure. This is your country. <laughs> I know we got to believe. <laughs> we got to believe that we can be better. If we, we don't, don't lead, do right? actually
5: do better. It's not just belief. You've got to do something. And I think uh, yeah, I think Bobby's right that we've really, because uh, yeah, I'm thinking here about some foreign policy things, we've really lost an awful lot of leadership in the world that we used to have in terms of NATO and other similar organizations. That, uh, yeah,
1: but we, uh, we can, can still leadership. start at this point and move ahead. We can't just lie in our own body fluid.
2: Oh, I, no. I, I wouldn't advocate for that at all. But I do think we need to take the bull by the horns, to use a favorite metaphor, and actually do something about the spread of the virus. And we're not doing it when there is no strong leadership from the White House to make us pay attention to that.
6: Well, as W.C. Fields uh, once said, it's time to take the bull by the tail and face the situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I when, that's what oh, that's doing. <laughs> When the when the when the Supreme Court cut off the Florida recounts in two thousand and decided the case of Bush v. Gore, its five to four ruling hinged in part on federal deadlines for state presidential tallies. Now those same electoral college deadlines could confound results in the race between President Donald Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. More than at any time since 2000, the possibility that states could have problems meeting crucial December deadlines for their electoral totals hangs in the air. The sheer challenge of tallying mail-in ballots during a pandemic could delay final results, as could litigation in swing states with narrow margins between candidates. Who becomes the next president might depend on timetables under the Electoral Count Act. Like the nation's annual election day, the first Tuesday after the first Monday, in November the reporting deadline dates um, vary controlled by such phrases as the first Monday after the second Wednesday of December. The act traces to the disputed 1876 election between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and Democrat Samuel Tilden when several states sent Congress conflicting vote tallies. After a contentious deal between Republicans and Democrats, Hayes became president. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio introduced legislation last month that would move that Electoral Count Act, December 8th date to January 1st and the December 14th deadline to January 2nd. Rubio pointed to the difficulties local election officials might have this year because of the pandemic and lockdown and warned of looming chaos. No No action has been taken on the bill. Are the existing deadlines too tight for the extenuating circumstances of election
5: twenty twenty. I don't think so. No, I. I mean, you're still talking about almost six weeks after the public election for those things. So I, yeah, I kind of I'm inclined to agree with Bobby that I that that there's a fair amount of breathing space there. the right? maybe something's going to happen, no surprises. But at this point, it doesn't yeah. look like. It.
2: I think.
1: Yeah, yeah but I we need better, to get. We, we need to better, allow the. Better,
2: the you got a different mix of ballots this time. Remember the butterfly ballot and all of those other things that went on? Right. I think because of the absentee vote being so heavy in this election, that should not be an issue. You should have those all counted within six weeks.
1: But the most important thing that we gotta do we have to make the public feel comfortable that the voting process is is honorable. Well after all it it's said has done president. that's what at we later. have to do at all
2: yes. costs. Yes. Tell Donald Trump to stop talking about fraud.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it, that mail ballots and all of that. Yeah.
4: Well, as
6: we uh, as we move on, we have we have a little time and I'm gonna refer to uh every Tuesday, uh, Paul sends me a uh, list of some things that we might think about or consider, usually he and I are pretty much on the same page, but he has a couple, uh, two or three bullet points here that um, that I, I didn't have uh, prepared for today and I thought I'd bring those up. One of the things that uh, he pointed to, which had gone by unnoticed by me, by the way, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit that, but there was no UAW Labor Day event this
2: year.
5: Yeah, no, yeah. no, they're welcome <laughs> That's usually almost the kickoff of the campaign season is the big Labor Day event at uh, Region 1-D and none of <coughs> none of that, and and as I said, the the point I made there was, I mean, are we seeing a decline? In, I mean, of course, it was the pandemic that was the issue, but are we seeing a decline in the UAW's clout, clout in Genesee County for a variety of reasons, not just the lack of employment, but uh, some of the self-inflicted wounds the UAW has kind of brought about onto itself? I I really wonder what, where their clout's going to be in five or ten years.
1: Yeah, I think it's both. I, you know, I think the pandemic is what they're worried about, and also their self-inflicted wounds. And also, there's a loss in the position of dominance that the union has lost over the years.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, don't you think well, it's just... a natural cycle? Things do, do change. And yeah. the dynamics change, and it all hinges on what's happening with politics and government. And you know, we became a right-to-work state, which, for heaven's sakes, is a bad name anyway. Um, the whole union scenario is taking a shift.
5: Oh, it really is. Yeah, there was a. I saw an article in the paper the other day of how, particularly in what's called the gig economy, where people are doing kind of very brief kind of commitments here and there. Undermines the whole idea of unions when you don't have the face-to-face interaction, and when you're, you know, changing your, what you're doing, so, you know, on a very frequent basis. So yeah, the, the the atmosphere has changed dramatically in terms of what what unions once meant and what they mean today. Right,
2: and perhaps there needs to be a, a union movement for gig workers.
5: You yeah, know so yeah. I mean, there's standards.
2: Because my dad was a musician, and he belonged to the musicians' union for, like, 75 years, got some kind of a plaque. Um, and he played gigs, you know, contract here, contract there. And Dom, Tom, you know about that.
6: Absolutely. And yet,
2: yeah. yeah, and yet there was a union um, ethical, ethic, and there was a union pay scale, and there were union benefits, and there were all kinds of things that came along with that kind of union. So we could have a, a, a gig union. There could be gig unions.
6: Yeah, because as Paul, Paul points out, you've got people now who, you know, maybe take a shift as a bartender or, or a waiter um, in, a, in a restaurant. And then two days a week they drive an Uber car. And, uh, you know, Bobby, like, like your dad and me and a whole bunch of other people I know, Friday and Saturday night out playing at a bar somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, it, that's, that's become the norm. Those aren't the outliers anymore.
2: You're right. When I lived in and and quit my full-time job, I, I did gigs. I did contract writing for people and proposal writing and other kinds of things and worked out of my home. I did odd jobs here and there, and that was how I earned my money.
6: And a lot that of wasn't legal, are... was
2: it? Was that legal? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was legal. I had a, yeah. I, I was a consultant and I had a, a Schedule C business.
5: And more and more that's becoming the norm. I mean an awful lot of people younger people that I know are working in that fashion.
1: Did you feel guilty?
5: Did I feel guilty? I pay taxes. Yeah.
1: I and that's, that's what many people in the union—they—they they do those kind of things and don't feel any guilt at all about it.
6: Oh, you're talking—you're mm-hmm. talking about moonlighting, and that's—that's that's different than what yeah. we're talking about. We're talking about yeah, okay, okay. it must be, yeah, okay. Because we're yeah, you're, yeah. Talking, you're
2: talking about the hidden economy where people are paid under the table. <laughs> yeah, that's another story. Yeah. yeah,
6: yeah, and yeah. And, the, yeah. and that is that is different, but the. Um, no, this this isn't uh y- you know people that are selling things you know turning their property into you know mini junkyards and selling second hand things without paying taxes or reporting it or anything this is this is people who are you know going to jobs but they don't work full time so mm-hmm. they're doing multiple jobs um like You know, like the example I gave, somebody who bartends a couple days a week and and then drives an Uber car a couple days a week. Um, or
2: wage tables,
6: yeah. Yeah, they're, um, and and Bobby gives a good example. There are a lot of professionals who are doing consulting work. They're working online, um, and, but they don't work for a specific company there there isn't that sense of like when you were at general motors people work 30 years they retired you know that that just isn't the norm anymore yeah
2: we don't really have a factory economy anymore do we
6: not really
4: no i mean not there's I like still to to, no. there's there's well, still it,
6: production it, that goes on but so much of it is automated that it doesn't have the impact on employment that it used to.
5: Yeah, to so take a look yeah. at the numbers. Didn't, didn't we used to have, what, almost 80,000 GM workers in Genesee County, and now we're, what, 6,000 maybe? I'm not even sure if that's accurate.
6: Yeah, I would but guess six or 7,000, but yeah. you're right. it That's down from 80,000 30 years ago.
2: Yeah, we're constantly changing. There was a book I read years and years and years ago called Thriving on Chaos, and what the author said was, as long as you are diversified, when things change, you can shift and go in a quite, completely different direction. If you're a huge behemoth like General Motors or some of the others, it's harder to make that kind of rapid change.
6: Uh, one other thing that Paul had on his list, and we've been talking about uh, mail-in voting in in a variety of ways, but we didn't bring up the Postal Service Director and his recent woes with uh, the, the charges of uh, campaign finance law violations. Um, do you think that he has uh, crossed the line? Do you think he did the things that that he's been suspected of? It, it kind of seems like the president is uh, cutting bait on him uh, because he yeah. just recently said that you know if, if he did these things, if he did uh, um, things that were illegal or improper that he should be let go. Um, and Trump doesn't usually do that until he's kind of forced to.
2: Well, he's
1: doing the right thing, though. He must separate himself from those who are beyond the law or outside
2: the law. Well, I think um, the next step is for them to prove that he did this because uh, the proof is in the pudding, another metaphor. Um, If they can't prove that or they don't have any witnesses, people who will testify, yes, I was given a bonus, yes, I was pressured to give money, then um, it would be a matter of doing an extensive audit of the books and all kinds of things, and that would be an onerous task.
6: And then finally, uh, the uh, Flint residents, um, when when are they going to see a share of the six hundred million dollar water settlement that was recently passed.
5: Yeah, I made some good headlines. Awarded. Yeah. How long will it take to process all of that, and who's going to actually get it in in, in the end?
6: Well, it's I coming from
1: federal funds, so it's it's guaranteed. It's coming from federal funds.
5: So. Have
2: they named an administrator for that? Remember when they uh, awarded money to the people who were damaged because of the. The uh, 9-11 tragedy, uh, there was right. an administrator that administered mm-hmm. all the funds. Do they have one for the flip not <clears throat> I, I, have,
5: I haven't heard that Neither have I. No, I've not heard of any individual being named. Um,
2: and that's a, that's a key, I
1: think. Yeah. And you have to call the mayor for that.
6: Is that who would well, make that appointment, do you think, or would that be... Uh, but he would know. Well, that's true.
5: I know both yeah, both the, the current the current mayor and the previous mayor have have issued press releases about the six hundred million, um, in terms of whether they thought it was enough or not enough, and how quickly it would arrive. So it's become a bit of a, a hot button issue between both uh, Neely and, and ex mayor Weaver.
1: You'll have to call both uh, to get a confirmation.
5: <laughs> yeah, I wonder. If, <laughs> I wonder if the court records would show
2: some some kind of, because if you're going to be giving an m- amount of money, there's got to be some kind of standard set up on how it's administered.
6: Well, one would hope. Um,
2: oh, yeah, one would.
6: And then, uh, and finally, any uh, any quick comments on uh, Michael Cohen's new book?
5: <laughs> one more, one more book, in book in a long string of books, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know how many opinions will change. Like I can say well, I've made the point before that the, the the whole avalanche of books coming out of this administration are almost universally negative, compared to what you generally see out of most other administrations. And uh, I think they've got a more. Trump
6: section at the bookstore now.
5: <laughs> probably do. <laughs> <laughs> they probably do. I was talking
2: to a friend yesterday. I had a collection of all the Watergate books. Back in the day, <laughs> and I couldn't possibly have a collection of all of the drug books. That's you know, right. Every
5: every every other week, there's a new one coming out. <laughs>
2: yep, I just started reading Melania and Me. My son gave it to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had
6: uh, I I had uh, Vicky Ward from the UK on this morning. She had written a book a while back um, called Kushner Inc. About yeah, Jared and pretty interesting stuff. It's in, It'll be in the archive later today if uh, anybody wants to go back and, and take a listen to Vicki Ward's uh, uh, discussion about the book that she wrote about Kushner, Inc. Anyway, um, we have to take a break here, but we'll come back and uh, as if these stories haven't seemed enough like the X-Files, we'll have the actual X-Files after we let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in edgewise. We'll be back.
2: Hey, this is The Unknown Comic,
1: and guess what? You're listening to The Tom Sumner Show right now,
5: and now, and now too, and even now.
3: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, throw the tissue away, and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips,
7: Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810 339 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go.
8: Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So, what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Hey. Tequila! I get the
2: uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors.
3: Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I
8: would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone? If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone.
5: All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I'm
3: in
2: the Twilight Zone. Now, having made
3: this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone... I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight
7: Zone. Hi,
2: this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
6: Hey, welcome back to uh, my favorite part of armchair politics each week on the Tom Sumner program. It's the coveted X-Files. And we begin with uh, soul legend Al Green was trending Wednesday for a pretty hilarious reason. The singer started it all when he posted a tweet of a photo of a Walgreens drugstore sign that had been slightly altered. A photo of a young shirtless Al Green taken from the cover of his 1975 Greatest Hits album had replaced the logo's W and the rest of the sign read Al Green's. Although. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the- Although some people assumed the altered Walgreens sign was in Green's hometown of uh, Memphis, Tennessee, the Commercial Appeal newspaper in that city said it's a 2018 work by Cassius King, an artist and graphic designer in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Still, the drugstore chain was happy to jokingly take credit for the sign by quoting a classic Al Green song title. We were tired of being alone. <laughs> 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 is is altering a store sign art?
5: <laughs> well, some I'm not people sure think it but is. They sure got both a lot of attention, both for Al Green and Walgreens, in, in the process. I saw a lot of coverage of that. Well, I,
2: it reminds me of Andy Warhol, you know, art. <laughs> it like a commercial advertisement, yeah.
6: Well, people are falling crazy in love with Chico the Parrot and his soulful Beyonce renditions. The nine-year-old yellow-crowned Amazon Parrot lives at the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in England's East Midlands, and he's winning hearts there and online with his impressive cover of the Pop Queen's 2008 hit, If I Were a Boy a park spokesperson told the Boston Standard that Chico has been at the park a little over 18 months and gets on with his bird and animal uh, his bird and human pals alike and Chico's no one hit bird according to his former former owner Julie Gregory he can also belt out Poker Face by Lady Gaga, Crazy by Gnarls Barkley and Firework by Katy Perry. Any requests?
2: <laughs> I think we should run him for president.
5: I think there's a possibility, yeah.
2: He's got a great repertoire.
5: Right.
6: Well, here's a weird one. German federal uh, police sent a bomb squad to investigate after a train driver found a styrofoam box with three vials of liquid on a local train Friday. Forensic specialists later determined that the liquid contained genetic material from rodents, specifically hamsters. Officers had hoped to crack the case by publicizing the unusual find, but despite intense media interest, the owner has remained elusive so far, said Jan During, a uh, Federal Police spokesman. Uh, During said police had already disposed of the vials as the cold chain had been broken. Uh, Heidelberg is home to several research centers, including the European Molecular Biology Lab. Is this the first chapter in the origin story of a new superhero, Hamster Man?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'll, I'll look forward to the superhero movie coming out soon.
1: <laughs> it's no wonder the, the, the owner of, of, of those vials didn't, dislo- didn't disclose himself. Because that's illegal,
6: yeah, I don't to think I'd...
1: control of a highly volatile or highly
6: yeah yeah suspicious argument, yeah, I think i would I'd, I'd take that uh nope there it's not mine,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wonder if they were working on some kind of genetic modification program, you know.
6: well, that's what you're, I wondered that's that's yeah. that is an unusual find. Uh, Does it have anything to do with COVID? <laughs> I, I, that I don't know. <laughs>
2: um, or crossing it with tomatoes that can run on one of those little wheels.
5: That's right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe generate electricity. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> there was a... Uh, now, now, see, that sounded like uh, Vermin Supreme. He had a theory... <laughs> yeah, there was
5: there, there's, yeah, there's a thing for Vermin Supreme's campaign.
6: His his idea was that you put zombies on treadmills and use them to generate power.
2: (laughs) Well, that beats the old story about when Jimmy Carter was president and he had his mom riding her bicycle, her stationary bike (laughs) to generate electricity in the White House. Yeah,
5: yeah.
6: Well, there was a scary moment in Taiwan this past weekend when a toddler was lifted 30 feet into the air by one of the kites at the Hinshu City International Kite Festival. According to Focus Taiwan, the three-year-old girl suffered abrasions to her face and neck but was otherwise unharmed. Winds in the community, located about 50 miles southwest of Taipei, reached seven on the Beaufort scale, which is listed as near gale and and can include winds of up to 38 miles per hour, according to the news site. Taiwan English News said the kite's tail wrapped around the girl and lifted her into the sky. Footage from the festival showed her uh, swinging wildly in the air. When she neared the ground, a crowd of people grabbed the child and pulled her down. Should kites be grounded on excessively windy days
5: <laughs> i don't know I but that's, that's a good question i thought that <laughs> was the day you supposed kids, to fly kites yeah <laughs> for,
1: for kids yes yes
5: yeah i had I, yes of
2: course. well especially if they have a tail that can wrap around you and drag you up
5: i suppose yeah but, but yeah like i say i thought those were the days you wanted to fly kites though
6: well, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. Any final thoughts? We've got a couple of uh, minutes left.
5: Just, just one thing. I want to congratulate Bobby on being chosen an elector for the 5th District for the 2020 election. Yeah, uh, thank you. Bobby, right.
6: congratulations. Oh, we mentioned that last <laughs> week on the show, and I forgot. Thank you, Paul, for... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank,
2: uh, thank, you, thank <laughs> you. I think I would like to go in December and not in January. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: it, it, you you have to meet in Lansing on the twentieth of December.
2: That's the Is it
5: twenty? I, I wrote it down on my calendar. I don't remember the date.
1: <laughs>
2: um,
5: I know. Uh, I, I I watched. I watched it when Henry cast his vote in sixteen on online. Oh yeah. Well yeah. So I um, look forward, Bobby.
2: Yeah, I, I'm sure Henry was glad he could vote for Trump. I'm looking forward yeah, to vote. So well, I also. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. may yes. the best person win.
1: That's all I. Say. <laughs>
6: Well, doesn't the best person neither are you. Doesn't the best person actually have to be running?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
6: Good point. Uh, Tom, I, I would hope that you would uh,
1: raise the question next time we meet on does professional sports impact the American economy.
6: Yeah, I was going to touch on that a little bit um, when we were talking uh, about the governors. Uh, opening up of uh, high school sports here in michigan but uh yeah let's let's uh let's see if we can dig into that a little bit next week I, that's um
5: yeah there's aren't the first games tomorrow aren't there a couple games tomorrow i think of the yeah football?
6: yeah i think you might be right and um
2: yeah
6: and yeah and think about
2: the, all the people think about all the people who work who will be unemployed or are unemployed when the, uh, you know, selling hot dogs and Cokes and doing all the things That's they right. do.
5: and all the all the bars surrounding the stadiums and all of those right. things too. yeah Right,
2: right. All of the adjunct workers that are no longer going to be employed, that has a big impact.
6: Yeah, well, and the sale of jerseys and banners. Yeah. And, and beer. And, uh, and, beer. <laughs> and <Yeah>. beer.
2: And beer. <laughs> right. so yeah, t-shirts. And, yeah, it really makes a difference.
6: Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Paul, thank you so much. Paul Rosicki, Flint's uh, premier political pundit. It's always a pleasure.
5: Always good to be here. It's a pleasure.
6: And Henry, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. It's always uh, it's always great to talk with you, Henry.
1: Uh, thank you, Tom.
6: And Bobby, it's and it's, everybody. it's always great when we're uh, when we're joined by a political operative uh turned elector Bobby Clayton Walton Bobby it's uh, it's always fun when you're here yeah
2: I always enjoy being with you guys and I I try not to pick on you too much Henry but I just can't resist but that's okay you make
6: me (laughs) better Bobby you really
2: make me better (laughs) well see when we're together I can look into your blue eyes and think you're just adorable but when we're not together I can really pick on you (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay
6: (laughs) all right well thanks everybody Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was was the crew for Armchair Politics, and that's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on out of here down the the hall to the living room. And uh, be sure and join us tomorrow for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And Friday we have uh, a special program where I've uh, combined some of the um, uh, interviews that I've done about September 11th.